1: What's in the box? Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro,
0: Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner, now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere
1: up the go I got nowhere up the
0: go <laughs> I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro and once again that is Scott Gordon. Hi oh, you sound happy and chipper. What's what what's <laughs> up with that?
1: New <laughs> <laughs> it's an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Was Doug just, Henning there? It's just early enough in the day that I've actually got some freaking energy for a change. So that won't last long,
0: so we probably should get into this. <laughs> it's late enough in the day that I'm already starting to lag. So, uh <laughs> we we have we are we are once again with two random books. We have a Marvel and a DC, both issue number 16. Why that is, I don't know.
1: Is that right? You know, I didn't even notice that. Oh, you're right. I didn't. <laughs> well, that's how observant I am. Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> realize that. Well, that was by random chance. So at, le- at least I think it was. So, wow.
0: You have the marvels, uh, so
1: you want to jump in first? Sure. Yeah. Uh, let me just pull up my synopsis here. Don't be pulling uh, nothing up. Handwritten myself. How about that? Well, hand typed anyway. <laughs> All right, so my book for this time around, uh, this is a, kind of a different one for me at least. Uh, this is Kazar the Savage, number 16. Uh, the cover date on it is July 1982. On sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, is March 23rd, 1982. Features a cover by Brent Eric Anderson. And uh, I have kind of an amusing story to tell a little bit later uh, involving Brent a- uh, Anderson. Uh, I'll save that till the notes section um cover on this one um, it's kind of cool it's uh, it shows Kazar and he's hanging his head and uh, you know just looking very defeated and sad and everything as uh, his girlfriend rests in his lap and uh, next to her is uh, his tiger who actually I noticed actually looks very small and like he only has one of his two saber teeth um, but you can't tell, are they sleeping? Are they dead? You know, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, there's uh, a weird little creature in the background, and there's weird tentacles reaching out of the jungle, and it's uh, its kind of a cool moody cover. So, yeah, I kind of like the cover on this one. It Creeps is the name of our story. It's written by Bruce Jones. Penciler is Ron Friends. Inker is Amondo Gill. Meanwhile, in the jungle, Thundar the Barber—I mean, uh, Tarzan, Lord of the—I mean, um, no, kazar the Savage and his bitchy girlfriend Rima the Jungle—I mean, um, Sheena, Queen of the—I'm sorry, Shauna, the something-or-other of the jungle, are having a stroll through the Prickerbush and an ongoing lover's spat about something to do with prior issues events, I guess. Eventually, they reemerge atop a rocky crag overlooking— The Savage Land. Now, where they're actually emerging from, I didn't quite catch or make sense of that. Anyway. Uh, They do say it. It
0: was uh, Pan... Whatever. Uh, Pangea? Pangea. Yes.
1: I, I... yeah, I've heard of that, but I'm not sure how that relates in in the Marvel universe. So I was, um, uh, was going to. Apparently,
0: ask it that. somehow abuts the Savage Land. I don't really. Ah,
1: uh, okay.
0: I, you know, I read this whole series years and years ago, but I don't have a you know that sharp of a recollection of what went on just before this. So carry on.
1: Well, well, you know, full disclosure for me, uh, you know, what I know about Kazar and his world and everything, you you could fit in a thimble. I'm I'm going into this pretty blind on the whole thing. Uh, anyhow, looking down on the prehistorically preserved lost world, the pair spot a meteor streak down out of the heavens and crash somewhere in the lush landscape below. Since it's on their way, they decide to check it out. Eventually, they make their way to a clearing where they see a jungle shaman about to sacrifice a lemur on a stone altar. Before they can act to save the creature, the branch supporting Shana, or Shana, however you pronounce her name, uh, in the treetop, snaps, and she falls ass-first into a uh, ceramic bowl and is stuck. Kazar swings into action, literally, rescuing her and the lemur and snatching the shaman's uh, ceremonial knife in the process. They come down in another clearing where she tells Kazar that he shouldn't have taken uh, the knife while he uses a rock to smash the ceramic bowl stuck to her ass, and I'm not making that up. They are harassed and pursued by the shaman and his followers, but Kazar is unable to get the upper hand in fighting them off, so they continue on their way. Later that night, they examine the knife while having dinner over a spit, and notice a tentacled beast carved on its grip. Shana, uh, uncomfortable with all of this, tells him he ought to just bury the knife and be done with it, but Kazar says, no way, finders keepers. So again, they are harassed by the natives, and Kazar, really pissed off, pursues the shaman intent on putting an end to this whole thing. But something else takes out the shaman first. Later, later that night, uh, Zabu, Khazar's faithful saber-toothed companion, Uh, hears a noise and wanders off into the thicket where some tentacled beastie kills him. Yes, kills him. While Khazar weeps for his dead pet, something grabs Shana. Uh, Khazar rushes to her rescue, but falls into a pit and skewers his leg on a spike at the bottom. When he finally manages to emerge, he finds Shana hung by the neck from a tree, dead. He rages at the sky until a cackling voice draws his attention. Turn the page, and the jungle man finds himself face-to-face with something that looks a lot like a cross between a killer tomato and Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Furious, Kazar lifts uh, into the creature, eventually forcing it back and into the pit where it falls on the spikes and dies. Kazar, victorious but grief-stricken, pulls a Padme and just lays down and passes out, wanting to die. He awakens later with the lemur standing over him, talking... Turns out this is Farok, alien from the stars, using his wonder twin power of form of a lemur. Turns out he and the Killer Tomato are interdimensional beings. And if you don't know what that is, folks, just take a look at Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It'll tell you all about them. They're awesome. Uh, anyway, they came here to play a game. Since the Killer Tomato is now dead and Farrok isn't, thanks to Kazar and Shauna, saving him from the shaman, Farak wins. And Yay. just to show what a <laughs> just to show what a good sport he is, he lets Kazar in on the gag that you guessed it. Zabu and Shauna aren't really most sincerely dead, and they won't remember any of this because uh, space magic. Having somehow traveled back in time, don't ask me, I just synopsized this shit. Shauna emerges from the waterfall they originally crossed through back into the uh, Savage Land at the beginning of the book, and Kazar sweeps her into his arms and says, Baby, you're the greatest. Well, not really, but sort of. The
0: end. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I read this series when it was new coming out, and I really enjoyed it. And I don't remember this issue, but my recollection of this series is you picked the one shitty issue to, to do because i remember I'm this being re- a good series and i don't get it when i read this issue
1: i'm really glad to hear you say that as <laughs> you know full disclosure you and i were just talking about this last night when i picked this issue so i don't have a full run of uh Kesar the savage however i do have a lengthy run because here's why uh i i even own this book um, I'm a huge fan of Ron friends. I'm also a huge fan of Val Merrick. And it turns out, uh, that Ron friends, uh, actually this is his debut, right? And I was shocked to find this out last night Now I knew he worked on the series. I had no idea that this was like his first thing in comics. This issue right here, Kazar the Savage number 16 is actually his, at least according to Mike's amazing world, this is his first published work. So I was kind of shocked by that. I-, I thought he'd been around a little bit longer. Um but anyway, I, I recently um completed getting the, the whole run of Ron Friends and there was another interim artist that was in there too, and I decided because Friends' run is a little bit spotty, it's it's not you know consecutive issues, I decided to just go from like Friends through I think the end of the series or, or something like that. But it's a, it's a long, lengthy run. And, you know, judging a book strictly by its cover, it looked really interesting. I thought, well, I'm going to have fun reading this and, I, and, you know, paging through some of the issues. I really like the art. So I thought, well, I'm looking forward to this after reading this issue. <laughs> not so much. I didn't hate it, but it's just kind of stupid. Um, my biggest issue with it, and, and this isn't probably, uh, I'm guessing anyway, not really a problem so much with this with this issue. Is maybe with this character is that now? Don't get me wrong. I don't want my jungle guys to to speak in stupid Tarzan speak, like in the back, you know, like in the old Wisemeller films. You know, me Tarzan. You know, I, he always sounded like an idiot. I don't want that. But I was really surprised that they speak like just normal people, and they're talking about like their fifth grade teacher, and they're they're making like. Not, not exactly topical references, but they're, they're talking like city folk. And I was really shocked because I thought he was, I mean, it says right on the cover, Kazar the savage. So I thought he was like a jungle man. You know, he was raised in the jungle by whatever, you know, tigers or apes or something. So to see him so familiar with like modern colloquialisms and everything and, and you know, talking like a, a civilized person it just kind of shook it, it kind of threw me i'm like all right so now what's what's the deal with this guy I, is he a jungle guy or he's not a jungle
0: guy or I, I don't know i just i was confused by the whole damn thing to be honest with you yeah well you know i remember when this came out I, I, at least as my memory is unless unless my memory is inaccurate uh, up until the point when this series started, he was, you know, in the uh, Me, Tarzan, Eugene mode. Uh, and then when this series came out, immediately from the first issue, uh, you know, he was articulate and talked like a regular person. And so, well, Shanna always did, because Shanna was not, uh, her history was not that she was raised in the jungle. I, I believe her history is that she was raised to adulthood you know, in, in normal society and eventually shunned normal society to go to the jungle. Uh, you know, he, if, if again, my memory could be wrong, but I believe Khazar's history is that he was supposed to get to, uh, I think he, w- he was a teenager when he was lost in the jungle. So he would have, you know, better than Amy, Tarzan, Eugene vo- vocabulary, if that is correct. Uh, but just the same, I found this when I was reading it to be much more to my liking because the character was, was more relatable because he didn't speak like a, you know, like a fool. Uh, right. And it, it really didn't disturb me at all. Honestly, the fact that they did that. In fact, I, I, I think I, I liked it even more at that time. Uh, I, 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 I'm a fan of this character and I had read this whole run and I have, I think all of his issues in astonishing tales uh so I mean I have you know most of that and then there was there was a series in the in the 2000s which I I still have on my to read list that I haven't gotten to and I remember uh, the, there's there's a point there where he uh he actually fights Thanos uh, and that oh, wow. that was that was later retconned out by Jim Starlin, who was like, don't don't treat my character like he's a a, a Mort. Uh, and that's when he came <laughs> up with the that there were like these clones of Thanos who had gone off, and every one of them was in some way uh, defective. And that's who that's who Kesar actually beat. It's kind of you know it's kind of the Thanos version of a Doombot. Uh, <laughs> but I, I still mean I I still had had the desire to read those because uh, I think they, they could still be fun to read. Uh, but I have to wait until I get around to that, but just the same, this particular series, you know, it pretty much is Kazar and Shanna, the whole run. Uh, and, and I was pretty into it at the time. And, uh, again, I don't have any, any real memory of this particular issue. Uh, and the story is kind of, it's, it's kind of unimaginative if you ask me, uh, yeah, You know, Bruce Jones gets by a little bit on the, uh, you know, he, this is an early version of the, you know, dialogue heavy where, you know, the, you're telling a lot of the stories in the dialogue between the two characters. Uh, you know, we, we, we I think we saw that a lot more later with the decompressed storytelling that we got. Uh, this this is an early run on that. And and again, I enjoyed that. I didn't have any problem with that at all. Cause it, it made the characters more relatable. Uh but the you know the whole okay you know it, it it just reminds me of you know Bones McCoy getting killed and then coming out with a girl under each arm at the end of uh, was, was it this side <laughs> of paradise is that the Or oh, no surely uh, shore, shore leave. Leave. yeah that that's what it reminds me of and it just yeah. feels it feels very unoriginal as I read it um,
1: well when when you know when it, the first death is uh, is Zabu. And so when he died, I was genuinely shocked. I was like, oh, I, I didn't know that he had multiple Zaboos. I always thought that it was always the same Zabu. So at some point, you know, he must have trained an, another one or raised another one. And then later, when he finds Shauna and she's dead, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be, like you said, a, a shore leave ending. And sure enough, it was. I was really kind of... Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah it's 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 it, it it's a little wanting because of that and I thought some of the build up to it was pretty cool you know the, the whatever the pygmies uh where they're talking about how they don't like us being in their area and they'll get violent with us and all that like it, it you know there is a, an element of world building here uh that I like, but uh, you know just just the the ultimate turn. Leaves, leaves me wanting. I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss the artwork. Uh, you know, the early uh, early Ron Friends work, it, it's not as refined as I think what we get from him later. Uh, it, it feels to right. me very influenced in different panels by different artists. Like that, the, the first page, the, the splash page, almost has a little bit of a, like a Mike Golden feel to it. Uh and then, then uh, if we go to page, I don't even know, it's page four on the scan, uh, it looks like it's kind of influenced by John Buscema. Uh, so I, I think, you know, that there's a little bit, I don't, I wouldn't say copying, but there's, a, you know, a little bit of uh, influence on things. If you go to the seventh page of the scan, it looks to me like it's influenced by Joe There There's a lot of different things going on in here. Uh, I mean, I think the artwork is solid. It's good. But I think I think we see better from Ron Friends later. I would say the most disappointing panel is when they get to the Savage Land and they're looking at it like, oh, my God, look how beautiful it is. I don't think the artwork really reflects that to me. It it, it seems just a little bit like underwhelming. Where they're
1: standing on the precipice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I really like that. Is it the colors, you think? Yeah, I think I was just going to say, I think partially it's due to the colors, which I feel like are not really doing it justice. But I I also don't feel I don't feel like it's shown to be quite majestic enough for them to be awestruck by seeing it. Right. Uh, I do think friends had an interesting take on several shots where we see. You know, the perspective is, okay, we're going to show a shot, but at the foreground of the shot, we're going to show Shanna's ass. There's a couple of those.
1: <laughs> yeah. I uh, I would love to, to know. Maybe we could get him on the show sometime. He seems like he's very amenable to, you know, to interviews and such. Uh, Ron Friends, I mean. But I would love to know what his uh, artistic influences are as an artist because – um i've you know while he to me anyway i think i do believe he has a distinct style of his own i've also noticed over the years that he's an incredible mimic like he's able to adapt his style to mimic other art styles without directly just ripping them off or copying them like when he was doing thor his Thor stuff is very uh, Busema to me, very, I, I believe, John Busema, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh,
1: and then um, more when he was doing, uh, well, also when he was working on Thor, it was also a lot of, there was a lot of Kirby influence in there, and I've seen other things that he's done that have some Kirby influence to them. Um, and then uh, when he was working on uh Spider-Man you could definitely see a, a lot of Ditko uh, influence but again it wasn't copying or, or directly aping um, Ditko it was just where it was kind of inspired by Ditko which was good because I'm not the biggest Ditko fan in the world but I love Friends's, uh Spider-Man so yeah I, I think he's a very adaptable artist that that's really good at, at picking up you know other artists style and, and kind of you know, adapting them into into what he does, and I definitely see that here. Even though this is very early uh, Ron Friends. I, I can still see you know some of his trademark style, but I can also see, as you say, where he's it, it looks like he's being influenced by a lot of other artists. Um, page eleven of the scan, that very first panel of Shauna, that looks like Bernie Wrightson to me. So yeah, I'm seeing a lot of different artist styles here, but and and frankly, I, I
0: appreciate part... seeing a lot of different artist styles. I, I I'm not I don't think that's necessarily a negative unless unless it makes the storytelling inconsistent, which I don't think it does here.
1: No, uh, no, I don't either. I, I I think it looks really good. I mean, it's not jarring. I think that's what you're going for. Is it, it's not jarring. It's not you know, each panel or each page is, oh my gosh, it's a shift. You know, it, it looks like this and it looks like that. And it's not that, it's just you can see influences here and there. Um, there's a couple of weird, like, bug eye shots, like on the very first page, that third panel on the very first page, uh, Kazar's face looks a little weird. You anyway, know, his eyes. There's, there's there's a couple shots like that, but for the most part, I really, really like the art. I mean, for this being his, his first time out, um, you know, I think the art looks really solid. I, unfortunately I'm not familiar enough with, um, Armando Gill to know, um, you know, what his influence is here. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's, you know, I, I, it looks like a really good, you know, finished ink job and everything, but I'm not sure how much he may be affecting the art, you know, changing it or, or modifying it or beefing it up or, or knocking it down or anything like that. It's just, yeah, I mean, it, the finished product looks looks pretty good to me.
0: Yes, but I I do think in this particular instance, uh, well I'm gonna I'm gonna give two two criticisms here. I, I the first one is the one I was gonna start with is just I I think the coloring leave, leaves something to be desired. I think it's a little simplistic at points uh, where there should have been a little bit more effort to kind of meld some of the colors and 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 create a, a, just a little bigger palette that it just feels. It feels uncreative as far as the coloring goes. And then there's a significant number of panels, including that one that I mentioned, where I feel like the background art isn't really showing much. And I'm quicker to blame that on the inking than on the penciling.
1: Right. Well, I was just noticing, because I was at the end of the book, so I started backtracking, and I'm noticing an awful lot of empty backgrounds where it's just like it's either completely blank white or it's like one color um so there's a lot of that too and yeah that i mean they're in a jungle you know i mean i i don't expect these guys to knock themselves out with every single panel you know with tons of foliage and all that sort of thing but you know, come on! Don't make it look like they're standing in a void either. I mean, there should be things around them. There should be detail. And there's an awful lot of this that doesn't have any detail in the background, or just kind of a muddy, ugly, or or monotone uh, background, and you know, monochromatic uh, background. And yeah, that's that doesn't help either. But you know, the figure work is, uh, I think it's fantastic. Really, it looks really good.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I, like I said, I do see the influences, but I, I assuming that my take on the influences is correct, uh, but that to me is, you know, that's fine. I have no problem with that. And and as you said, right. it's not. It's not. The differences aren't jarring. Uh, I just like the the scene when they come upon the dead carcass of Zabu. It almost looks like he died and started to revert to human. It doesn't look like the way they show his body. It almost looks like a human body.
1: Let me flip back to that. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, it almost looks like a like a Wolfman body or something. Yeah, that's funny.
0: But yeah, but o- o- overall, like I said, as, as far as the penciling goes, I think this is a uh, a very solid issue. Uh, the, the shot of dead Shanna is. A little troubling because she has her eyes open, but you know, based upon Kazar's reaction, that she's dead.
1: Right. Yeah, that is a disturbing image. that That whole sequence was disturbing. And not right in this. uh, Right in this. Like, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I was looking at um, Friends' credits earlier, and he did like several issues of Kazar. And then right in the middle of that, he did uh, something with Conan. I think it was a, I don't know, Conan the Barbarian. I think. And I'm curious what that might look like. Um, I bet you his Conan's actually pretty cool looking too, because I mean he he cuts a very dynamic figure with uh, with Kazar here. I mean he he looks, you know, he's he's all ripped and muscular and pretty badass looking. So I can only imagine what his Conan must well,
0: look like. Bar- well, Barry Smith fans aside, aside, I think that. Uh, John Buscema was the primo Conan artist and he clearly has some John Buscema influence in him. So I think he'd do very well with Conan.
1: Right. I'd be curious to hunt that up and see who the, who the inker was, uh, on friends's turnout with, uh, with Conan. Cause I started tracking down, um, uh, some Conan stuff, but uh, mostly, mostly Savage Sword because it turns out that uh, Diesenegg worked on an awful lot of that stuff. And uh, I've been tracking them down, and as as I've been you know getting them and kind of thumbing through them, I'm just I'm struck by the art. You know, the art's really really beautiful. And when it's Buscema inked by uh, Diesenegg, it's just like damn, you know, it, it's it's really good looking stuff. One of these days, I'm going to bring one of those to the show. I was actually going to bring one of those right after we did um, Gulliver's Travels, and then we did the
0: the the dirty one, you know, the
1: the adult Gulliver, Gulliver Gulliveriana. Yeah, well, and then I, after doing that, I've just Bill purged
0: was- it from my mind, and now you bring it back. <laughs> well, I,
1: you know, I had lined up to do uh, an issue of Savage Sword, and uh, and Bill shamed me. He was like. Oh, you know, more boobies, and I was like, so then I felt bad, and I'm like, all right, let me let me put some distance between Gulliveriana and doing something else that's that's a little more adult oriented. So it kind of fell to the back burner, but I, I am going to bring one at some point. You should
0: never ever be shamed by boobies. <laughs>
1: Uh, it uh, might be worth mentioning that uh, the back there is a short. I mean, it's very short. It's three pages. It's all text, um, but a beautifully illustrated backup story in here, "Tales of Zabu," uh, illustrated by uh, Val Meyrick That's just really cool. I, I love the art on that. Um, just, just
0: you know, we, we've we've hit on it before. But the only thing I would say is, if if you're listening and you're not familiar with Val Mayrick, get Get yourself familiar with him, because you'll be doing yourself a favor. Merrick in particular, is one of the better artists at drawing wildlife. Yeah, he—I mean—he draws a lot yeah. of things well. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but yeah. but uh, I I think you know wildlife is something that that is a weakness in many many artists' uh, you know ammunition, uh, and uh, he he draws them really well. I, I remember when we when we were lucky enough to have him on the show. And he had a—I uh, I don't remember if it was a Kickstarter or just some other thing—but he had a book coming out, and it was uh, a western. And I, I was marveling at the way he drew the horses and all. He—he's—he's he's just got a knack at it.
1: There's a shot here. It's the middle page of the of the three Mayrick uh, pages. The backup story. The bottom panel where it's Zabu is doggy paddling across, I don't know what this is, a river, a pond, a lake, something. And the shot is from underwater. So it's below the water line. You're looking up from like the the sediment up at the surface of the water as Zabu is crossing it. And there's this alligator um, swimming up on him. And that's, God, that's a beautiful shot. I mean, it's just, you can feel everything in that picture. You can feel the, the tension, you can feel the, you know, the sense of being under the water. It's it's really it, that's a really cool shot. I really like that.
0: Right, I, I agree totally. It's it's, uh, you know, it's funny the, the the opening shot, which is not bad at all, is probably the weakest shot as far as drawing Zabu, just because it's a little more heavily inked uh, than the than the other ones are, and I think the other ones just kind of let the art breathe a little bit more. And, and his, his right. drawings of Zabu, I think, are terrific. Uh, even, you know, the shot, uh, the, the next panel after the one you just talked about, where it's got Zabu coming out of the water onto the side. Uh, the way he yeah. draws him with, with the fur, you know, the water pulling the fur down and all. It's just really just, you know, clearly he had a grasp on his, his subject matter.
1: Yeah, that is. It's really cool. I like that. Well, the only other note I've got, and it's, it's not really on this specific issue, I was just put in mind of it uh, you know, by the cover on this uh, with, with Brent Anderson. Um, way, way, way back, I, I've got it notated somewhere, but I forget. I want to say it was like 1989, something like that. I, I went to an Ithacon in uh, in Ithaca, New York. Uh, it was one of my, my very earliest cons I ever went to, and... I don't remember it being advertised ahead of time, and I was surprised when I got there to realize that that one of the elderly gentlemen that was there and doing signings and such was Murphy Anderson, uh, you know famous you know inker on you know Kurt Swan Superman, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. and because I didn't know he was going to be there, I wanted to get something signed, but i I hadn't brought anything because I didn't know he was going to be there. So I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day when uh, the uh, Overstreet Guide was like your comic book bible, um, a lot of times in the Overstreet guides, after a, you know a, a title and a listing and all the numbers and everything, they would often have notations of particular popular artists, like which are you know issue numbers they worked on and such. Right. So I opened that up and, and started flipping through, and I was looking for uh, an issue of, of action that I could get that might be relatively inexpensive that I could buy and have him sign. And it ha- actually listed um, Action Comics Weekly number 623. And so I was, I was in the dealer room and I went and I bought it out of the, the back issue. Then I paid, like I don't know, like a buck or something for it. Because it was notated as Anderson, I pull it out, and it's this. Eh, it's it's an okay image of Superman um, standing on. I think he's standing on a building, like with a gargoyle or something like that. And it, it was okay. I wasn't really crazy about it, but it was signed. It said Anderson, so I thought, okay, well, this 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 is you know something Murphy did, so I'll, I'll have him sign this cover for me. So I went and you know waited and, and finally got up to him and everything. He takes the book, he looks at the cover, he's kind of like, eh. And then he, he opens it, he rifles through it, he gets to the center spread, and he signs the, the centerfold of the book. Well, it turned out, and I didn't realize this until much later, that the cover, Anderson, is Brent Anderson, <laughs> not Murphy Anderson. The reason Murphy signed the middle of the book, the centerfold, was because the only work he did in that issue, which just by dumb luck, he actually did work on that issue, was during the early issues of Action Comics Weekly. uh, Roger Stern had a Superman strip. It was only just that centerfold of, of each issue of Action Comics Weekly. Superman went from owning the book to just that centerfold. Um, and Murphy Anderson worked on uh, that strip. So there was, thankfully, work by Anderson in there, and, and he signed it. But how embarrassing could that have been if he'd realized my mistake? He, I don't think he realized it, and I didn't realize it until later, but <laughs> I would have been really embarrassed for him to be like, um, that's a different Anderson, son. That's <laughs> not me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that wouldn't be good.
1: <laughs> and I was I was really glad to find that out later because I think the world of, of Murphy Anderson as an artist and that cover it's not bad, but it's it's not good either. So <laughs> I was glad it actually <laughs> wasn't
0: it. Yeah, I'm not overly familiar with Brent Anderson's work, although I think he did a lot in this series, but I'm just off the top of my head I'm not really that familiar with him. On the cover it looks like Zebu's sleeping. You just want to rub his belly. Yeah,
1: yeah, it really does. Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for the way Kazar is is look, you know, just hanging his head and looking very defeated, you would think that he's just like cuddling them while they they're taking a nap or something, you know. Or that every maybe that everybody's having it. like they're just exhausted. Everybody's sleeping, you know. It, it could it could be that too in a in a certain way. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to remember who the, the artists in between um, the Friends issues and it, like why I decided to go ahead and, and fill in, you know, the in between issues. And I, I think it is Brent Anderson who I'm, you know, I, I'm not a fan necessarily, but I don't mind his stuff either. And um, most of it for this actually looked pretty good. Like his style really lent itself to this type of a
0: book. Yeah, I mean, in general, I would say yes. But uh, <laughs> the cover, the cover to me, almost looks like it's incomplete. It almost looks like it's it's part of a bigger picture, and that they zoomed it in because they didn't like what was on the outside. I don't know. Something yeah, it just doesn't look quite right to me.
1: I, I think with the with the lemur, looking, you know, it has kind of a shocked expression on its face as those tentacles are coming out of the. Out of the for, out of the jungle and, and creeping up on Kazar, because of the color and the and the mood and the look on the lemur's face, it, it gives me kind of a, a like old horror comic vibe, like something like Neil Adams would have done for like you know like House of Mystery or something like that. You know, it, it, it kind of has that vibe going for it too.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's well, the, the tentacles kind of give it that. And it did just, you know, you mentioned Neil Adams. There's quite a few panels in here where, uh, where it kind of breaks the, uh, the, the, the panel edges. Uh, just, you know, going to the second page in particular, the middle two panels, uh, the one on the right actually looks as if it's drawn for the whole across the, across the book. And then it has the left panel, like, superimposed over it which I think is kind of cool. The the borders are done a little differently here uh, on occasion, which I think is, you know, it's something a lot of artists do, but I mostly attribute it to Neil Adams.
1: Right. Well, are we ready for grades on this one, you think?
0: Yeah, I think we can, uh, we can do that.
1: All right. So cover on this. Um, I like the cover, but I agree with you that it's, there's something something missing somehow with it. And now I like the fact that there's no verbiage or anything on it, so it's I don't think it's that. It's just I don't know. It, it doesn't. I'm not sure it quite conveys exactly what it's supposed to. Because again, you know, it, it it could actually be mistaken for they're all just completely pooped out, you know, and taking a taking a nap. So. I'm not sure if it, if it really, you know, portrays what it's supposed to be portraying here, but it, it's not a bad cover either. Um, I think I, I think I'd go with a B on it. I, I think it's a B cover um, artistically. It's pretty good, and I, I do like the coloring of it. I, I think the, the coloring is actually pretty dynamic. Zabu is, um, in addition to looking like he's just sleeping as opposed to dead, he's also much smaller. Um, Anderson draws him as, you know, a much smaller cat um than inside where he's you know he's a he's a great beast type of thing so um interior art i, I like it quite a bit there's there's a little bit of wonkiness a few janky parts here and there but uh, you know again this is you know friends just getting started in his career and again i'm not f- uh, familiar enough with Gill to know uh what his influence is here but you know taken as a whole it's pretty good. I mean, especially for this kind of a of a book, um, you know, the the jungle tales and all that. I, I don't mind the art too much. Um, I think it's well above average. I'm gonna go a B minus. Um, I've I've definitely seen much better from friends later on. Um, the coloring definitely doesn't help, and a, a lot of empty. Blank monochromatic backgrounds, but otherwise, you know, it, it's solid, and I, I like—I really like the figure work a lot. The figure work is what makes up for the other deficiencies in quite a, a number of ways, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, story-wise is where this takes a hit. Um, story-wise, I just thought it was kind of stupid. Um, I, you know, the dialogue's not bad, and everything. Once I could get past the the fact of them just kind of talking like regular people i I, and again it, it makes me feel kind of weirdly hypocritical to say that because i definitely don't want them to talk like dumb you know ape men you know stereotypical tarzan speak i don't want that but i was just a little bit surprised by by how they actually do talk in this um i so i don't know i don't know exactly what i'm what i'm aiming for i don't know exactly what i'm looking for but something not quite as modern civilized person a, as what they were speaking here but again not not dumbed down or idiotic either I, I guess more like conan you know something like that i guess is what i was thinking it, it should be more like um Maybe even a little bit more regal somehow, because isn't he supposed to be like a lord or something? Lord Plunder. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. It just I thought the dialogue was a little was a little weird. Um, where it definitely took the big hit though, because I mean I some of it I could get a, you know I could I could see you know the the whole thing with the with the knife was kind of interesting. The whole thing where you're kind of led to believe that maybe the priest was trying to summon something you know the tentacled beast that was on the 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 hilt of the knife you know maybe he was sacrificing or going to sacrifice the lemur to summon it or appease it or something even the revelation that it's it was an alien was okay it was it's just unfortunately it's compounded by a goofy thing after goofy thing it just it all adds up to overall making the whole tale kind of silly as opposed to you know, if they had just gone a little bit, you know, the the big thing was a, was an alien entity and they had to fight it. Or went, Okay, you know, I can buy all that. But then you compound it with talking lemurs and it was all a predator-like game. And I was like, oh, come on. And then, you know, Shauna and Zabu are magically alive again at the end of the story and they time travel. And I'm like, what the hell? I mean, you're just throwing everything into this goofy story. So, yeah, story-wise, I'm going to go a... I'm going to go a D minus on the story. I thought the story at the end of the day was actually pretty stupid. Um, you know, the the thing that saves it, though, is, you know, the, the characterization. I, I didn't mind the characterization. I, I liked their relationship and and all of that. It could have been a little bit clearer as to what the hell was going on, too. You know, for somebody that, that was just jumping into this like I was, uh, I wasn't really clear on you know where are they coming from where are they going to what's what's the deal so um yeah i didn't i didn't think too much of the overall story but as you know as a as a whole grade for the entire issue um yeah better than average i'm, I'm not big on jungle tales to begin with um so you know yeah this wasn't too bad uh i think i'd go a i think i'd go a c plus as an overall on the on the whole thing I, i'd say if you're Ever gonna look into you know this particular book or, or you know this this run or whatever you know go in for the art because the art's definitely nice. I, I really enjoyed this. I was glad I picked it up.
0: All right. Um, so I'm not crazy about the cover. I feel like it's a little rough. Uh, like I said, I almost feel like it it it's it almost feels like it got blown up. That it was supposed to be bigger. Uh, or you know more widespread uh, and that by blowing it up it lost some detail it almost feels that's what it almost feels like to me uh again yeah you you pointed out that you know zebu is kind of the size of a kind of the size of a big german shepherd here which i think zebu is supposed to be (laughs) considerably bigger than that Mm -hmm. so i i don't really care for that uh it's it's not really it's not something that really intrigues me to speak of so I'm going to say I'm going to say a C minus on the cover. Uh, the interior art is the strength of the book I agree. Uh, I like the various styles that seem to be played upon in here with it never really straying so far from one as to be jarring. Uh, I don't care for the coloring and there's points where the inking goes back and forth, in particular, the backgrounds I have a problem with. I want to give uh, Ron Friend's, like, really solid grades, but then I want to, you know, I have to do the artwork overall. So I'm going to say it's a C on the artwork, but if it had better inking and and, and coloring, this would probably be a very solid B to B-plus book. And story-wise, I agree with you that it's just you know it feels very unoriginal. It feels very just thrown out there. Uh, I uh, I like the characterization. That's that, to me that's what carries this this story. Is the discussion they're having, the argument that they're having at the beginning of the book, it, it does ring true to me. Uh, I, I, it feels like the kind of conversation that a couple would have or could have. So for that reason, uh, it, it, it bolsters the whole story overall and even his reaction at the end, you know, after they're, they're fighting and he's like walking off at one point, then, you know, after they're experiencing the thought of, uh, that he could have lost her, you know, he, he carries her off, uh, you know, saying don't ever leave him alone again, uh, and it like I said, it kind of rings true to me. Uh, so, bad story, good characterization to me. I'm not going. You're, you're a D minus. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say a C minus because the story needed to be more clever to get better than average. But again, within the framework of the story, he has. I thought he did a good job with his dialogue. Uh, so overall, I'll give the book bolstered mostly by the artwork. Uh, a C plus. And that's it for Kazar. Cool. I thought I lost you for a second. So moving on to our next book, (laughs) so we don't have any, uh, any, any, uh, (laughs) so we don't have any wasted time. Uh, I took JSA number 16, and I'll tell you right off the bat, I was, Influenced to pick this one because of our recent coverage of Stargirl. It just got me more intrigued to look at some of these. The cover shows the Injustice Society. Uh, I wanted to punch this up, actually, so that I had the information on it in front of me, and I don't. That was a mistake, and I blame you. Why do I blame you? Because I can It's uh, not my fault. The cover is by Alan Davis, Mike Farmer, John Calles, and Heroic Age, which I assume is the uh, colorist uh, company. Uh, The and and again, it shows the uh, Injustice Society kind of facing towards the reader and uh, looking kind of threatening. uh, And that consisted of who who do we have here? Let me just try and see. We got Black Adam. We have, uh, was it Bri- Black Briar Thorn, who I'm not really particularly familiar with. Uh, Count Vertigo, Geomancer, Icicle. And the, the, the dude with no face, that's Johnny Sorrow? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then we now have the, kill, the Killer Wasp.
1: Like, almost like uh, like Rogue is Shiv. Who I had completely forgotten about her. Um, and there's actually an episode or two of Stargirl named Shiv because she's a character on that show. So, th- re- rereading this issue taught me one thing is that I need to bump this up really high on my must reread lists because I read the whole series and absolutely loved it back in the day, but damn, I didn't remember anything. I mean, I, half the people on this cover I looked at and go, I don't have no idea who this is. So, yeah, I can't believe how much of this I've forgotten, despite the fact that I loved it so much.
0: Yeah, I, I have, uh, you know, been a, uh, a big fan of different runs of the JSA. And this particular series, uh, I've, I've kind of read it in like in little bunches. So I haven't read this particular story before, but I've. But every time I've picked up a, a bunch, and a lot of times it was taking out, uh, you know, the trades from the library or whatever. I've, I've found this, this entire run to be very enjoyable. I'm going to read you the uh, synopsis from uh, the DC database because I'm lazy. In Manhattan, Black Canary and Dr. Midnight sit at a dinner table on a quiet date. They are suddenly attacked by Count Vertigo. Dr. Midnight uses a blackout bomb to escape with Diana and change into their superhero clothes. At a movie theater, Sand and Wildcat talk during a movie when two gentlemen behind them tell him to keep it down. As they pick a fight, the two men reveal themselves to be Geomancer and Killer Wasp. Black Adam enters the fray as well as well as well to ambush the heroes. A mysterious force rips through various civilians across the world at incredible speeds, At JSA headquarters, Mr. Terrific points out the killings from the mysterious speedster spell out C-L-A-R-I-S-S. Flash quickly realizes that this is most likely Rival, his chemistry professor from Midwestern University. He explains he tackled him before and has been trapped in the Speed Force since 1949. When Mr. Terrific expects the final destination to be Keystone City at the Garrick House, Jay rushes home to save his wife, Joan Garrick. As Jay leaves headquarters, Icicle, Tigress, and Shiv show up to attack Mr. Terrific, Sentinel, Hawkgirl, and Courtney. Thinker reveals himself, explaining he has lived in the GS- JSA defense systems and has disarmed them to allow the Injustice Society into the building. When Sentinel attempts to block them with a green flame, Tigress came prepared and shoots a wooden shank, piercing Sentinel. The shank then transforms into Blackbriar Thorn. Thorn gloats that Ted should have burned all the pieces as he could always rebuild himself otherwise. Mr. Terrific rushes Sentinel to a secure room where Thinker can't hack in. Hawk Girl and Star-Spangled Kid prepare to play defense as Sentinel heals. In Keystone City, Jay stops Rival right as he is about to attack Joan. At the Labyrinth, Johnny Sorrow reveals his plan to kill the world with the King of Tears. And I'm not really sure who the King of Tears is, or what the King of Tears is. But uh, I, I you know, I, I picked this up. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I remember
1: a story. Something about there was a thing that lived in a box. And, like, somebody goes into a basement or into a room or something, and they look in the box, and the thing, like, devours them or something something like that. And I want to say that the – what did he call it? The something of tears, king of tears or whatever, has something to do with that, I think, or that is the king of tears or something. But, I mean, that's really – I mean that's really stretching the memory muscle there. I, I'm not sure if I'm even remembering that properly. It, it may even be what it's showing here at the end of, of this issue. I'm not entirely positive, but
0: yeah, it's uh, you know this this kind of fit right in with my prior experiences with the JSA where uh, you know I hadn't read this particular story before and I wasn't familiar with it, but. It felt very comfortable just picking it up and reading it, even though I didn't really have a background on what led up to it. I, I think these stories are very, very well written. And who was who the writer here? The writer is David S. Goyer and Jeff Johns. hmm And I just I didn't give the uh, the credits penciled by Steven Sadowski. I guess that's Ron's cousin. Uh, inked <laughs> by Mike bear and colored by John Kelly's heroic age lettered by Ken Lopez. Uh, th- th- like I said, this entire run, whenever I picked up one of the trades at the library, and just sat down and read it. No matter what storyline I picked up, it just felt very comfortable getting into it and reading it. And part of it <clears throat> is because I have a comfort level with these characters. And part of it is because I just think these stories are exceptionally well written. Uh, this is, you know, this is not a groundbreaking story because the, you know, the group of villains, you know, coming up with a plot to attack the group of heroes is kind of a, a, a relatively standard trope that we've seen many times before. In particular, we covered on Avengers Spotlight, the, uh, you know, the, the the Avengers one where the uh, Masters of Evil took over the v- Avengers mansion and, and had, you know, for a short time uh, defeated the Avengers. Uh, this is not dissimilar from from that in its own way, but still well written, well done. The characterizations are there. Uh, I really am intrigued by this character rival. Uh, and at least from reading this, my thought process is this is somebody who appeared in one of the Golden Age books back in nineteen forty nine and had not appeared since then, and Jeff Johns showing his love of uh you know the older stories. Uh, you know, latched onto it and decided, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to revive this character who, you know, I'm sure was, was portrayed in a very, you know, very simplistic way uh, when he first appeared, but is, you know, is, is he's basically the reverse Flash here. Um, right. You know, and, and he, he's the Jay Garrick version of the reverse Flash, which I think is kind of cool. So I'm 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 on board with all of this. Uh, again, just you know, I don't have a lot as far as comments on it, just because it, it's it, it is a, a relatively quick read. But I also found it to be a very entertaining read. Uh, I I I didn't know there was any kind of a romance thing between uh, Doc Midnight and and Black Canary. I didn't know that that happened. Uh, oh yeah, that was news to me actually uh at this point apparently ali is this is when he was thought to be dead uh so you know that that makes it acceptable i guess uh was, i
1: really liked them that's a couple i, I like them well i like this version of the now this isn't this isn't charles mcnightder this is P, uh i think his name's peter peter cross this is the second uh or actually i think third um, dr Midnight and I really liked this guy. Um, I'm not sure whatever became of him or where his story went, but I, I really liked him, and I liked them uh, that you got to see during the course of this series several different character relationships develop, and this was one of them, and this is the one that I, I really liked. And I can't remember where it all goes. Of course, you know, Ali eventually comes back and everything, and I think it was within this continuity. Um, that Black Widow and, and Green Arrow eventually got married and everything. So I'm not, I don't remember now how her relationship with uh, with Midnight ended or whatever. But I, I'm pretty sure they did develop, you know, an, an actual relationship. at one, point. I mean, in, in this, I think they're on they're on a date, obviously. But I think this is their first date, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, that's what it said. But
0: it does say it's their yeah. first date. But yeah, um, they, and it, just it just does... to show that I'm paying attention, you said Black Widow. Uh. Oh, did I?
1: <laughs> Black Canary, I meant. Um Something occurred to me. It's funny. I, I didn't think of this while I was reading the issue, but while I was listening to your synopsis and kind of thumbing through pages, it suddenly occurred to me. Now, you you can call this a nitpick if you want, because I you know it didn't affect my enjoyment of the story, but it, it just occurs to me. So, the book opens you know, the synopsis that you read is much more linear than the actual issue is. The issue jumps all over the place, but the issue actually opens with, um, what's the guy rival rivals rampage where he's using his, you know, just incredible super speed, um, as a weapon. And he's just blowing through things and killing people. But, but, if he has the exact same powers as Jay Garrick, which I- I'm assuming he does because uh, Garrick briefly recounts uh, Rival's origin and basically says somehow he managed to duplicate the hard water formula that gave him my super speed. So assuming that they're basically the same except Rival is like the reverse Flash.
0: Well, apparently Rival it- is has a superior... Uh- speed to to jay garrick at one point jay garrick says something that he wasn't able to keep up with him or something
1: oh well of course garrick has aged 50 years while this guy's been suspended and you know whatever as well but i'm just i'm looking at his rampage and while it's cool and i like the depictions of it and everything it occurs to me that if he's just a regular guy like jay garrick is he should he be able to do this like Jay Garrick, I don't think, could do this because, like, for example, on page two, it shows four panels. One of them, he's running through a restaurant, and there's just like a big splatter of of blood and stuff as he runs through and murders somebody. And then he's busting through the middle of a car in the next panel, uh, actually knocking the car into two pieces, the next panel he's running through a telephone pole and knocking the guy off and it looks like he's being electrocuted as he falls. So Jay Garrick can't do that stuff cuz he's just a regular dude running really fast. If he were to run into a telephone pole it would kill him at super speed I would think, not not just smash through it. So is this a goof or is this guy actually more powerful, you know, to where he he can use his super speed as a as a battering ram?
0: I think that's what it is. I think he's more powerful. He's, he's for some reason his uh, use of the speed force is greater than what Jay can do.
1: Hmm. Okay. I'm
0: trying to. That, look that makes the, him. I'm trying to look for when Jay talks about it to see if I can.
1: Because that makes him incredibly dangerous. If he can just, you know, run all over the world in the blink of an eye and just smash through anything, you know, and, and destroy anything just with his speed. That's, that's frightening.
0: Yeah. It says, uh, months later, I heard his speed manifested itself again. He broke out of prison. I tried to hunt and hunt him down, but his body kept accelerating faster and faster. I couldn't keep up. Somehow the speed force, he literally ran himself out of existence, hmm. which, which is, uh, you know, almost—that's kind of what happened to the Barry Allen Flash in uh, Crisis. Right. So, I don't know if that's meant to be a callback to that, but that's what it makes me think of. So. Yeah, I what do you, really what do you, liked this. What do you think of the artwork hmm? in this? What did you think of the artwork?
1: Um, I'm not overly familiar with Sadowski um, but I've always been a big fan of Michael Bear, Um and and I liked seeing him work on so much of this series because he worked on uh, prior stuff with a lot of these characters like for example he he worked on, um, um infinity inc and i think he worked on some of uh young all-stars as well if i'm not mistaken i think he even goes back further than that i think he worked on some of uh all-star squadron toward the end too i believe uh so i've always liked him quite a bit he's he's uh you know one of those lesser known favorites of mine um i like the art but i kind of wish i dug out the actual paper issue of this for show purposes because i've noticed this before that a lot of nineties comics from around this, this era, um actually this is later than that, isn't it? This is two thousand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but like like late nineties, early two thousands, a lot of they don't scan very well. And a lot of th- a lot of times the scans end up looking kind of weird, kind of like muddy in the art. And I don't remember the art actually looking like that on the printed page. I, I think it has something to do with that paper. Um, so the art looks a little bit weird on the scan, but I don't think it actually looks that way if you see it on the, on the printed page. But anyway, uh, I, I like the art quite a bit. Um, it, it gets a little, a little busy in, in places. It kind of has that thing and some other books I can remember from this era kind of suffered from it too, where sometimes because of the new printing process and just, um, Kind of the art style of the time that sometimes things would just look really, really busy. I noticed that on like Avengers and Thunderbolts and things, where sometimes it was just like there was like too much visually. You know what I mean? Um, and this has a little bit of that, but overall, I, I really like it quite a bit. Our um, art wise, I'm trying to remember if the cover team did any interiors in this series either, and I can't remember. But I love the co- the cover team. I mean, you know, you've got Alan Davis and Mark Farmer. I mean, those guys are fantastic. I, I love their art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't remember if they did any uh, actual interior work on this series or not. I just I can't believe how much I've forgotten about this series. I am I mean, I've long been overdue for a reread, and I've been wanting to do it. I, th- I think this is going to inspire me to finally. You know, bump that up and, and start rereading it because I, I really do. Uh, I love this stuff and I, there's so many of these characters I really, really, really like.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to claim impartiality because I have a special place uh, for the JSA. I, I've always been very, very fond of that, them as a uh, as as a group, as a series, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but every time I read one of these. Like I said, when I read one, it it just it's it's very uh, easy to get right back into it. And, you know, one of the things we talk about, we've talked about in the past is, uh, you know, when you read the first issue, does it make you want to read the second issue? And absolutely. I, I, you know, now I have a desire to to start reading these and and get back into the series. So right. uh, this this particular issue, I think, accomplishes many things on many levels. I don't really have the same problem that you do with the artwork as far as the busyness. It doesn't really bother me. Um, you know, it's it's I you know th- there is that '90s coloring process where the colors are all just a little bit uh, a little bit more deep than what you'd see elsewhere. Uh, But I do like in some ways where where the color is, you know, where they're able to kind of play with it a little bit. Uh, Like, for example, where... uh you know, the, the scene, which I think is very dramatic when Black Adam appears on it, uh, you know, the work on the clouds where, where there's the red and it's orange and yeah. yellow and it. You know, you, in the old coloring process, they couldn't do things like that. And it makes for a very, very dramatic shot because that background really makes him pop. Now, I've never seen clouds those colors, I do have to admit. Uh, <laughs> you know, it looks like they're on fire. Uh, but just the same, I think, uh, you know, it's it's. I think the artwork in this issue is kind of striking at times. Uh, the the last panel with the, uh, you know, the, the, what's his? I can't. I've already forgot the name of the character. Johnny
1: Johnny Sorrow.
0: Uh, Johnny Sorrow. Uh, you know, there's there's a uh, a lack of certain detail that adds to the surreal feeling of it. Uh, you know, the 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 first shot, the long shot of the house. There's no color on the house itself. It's just black and white. Uh, and then when you get inside the house again, there's you know a lot of detail is missing, including the fact that you know his his entire uh, head is just a mask uh, and nothing else. You know, just a just a, a face mask, and not, you know not even a full head mask. Uh, that's just kind of suspended above the uh, the 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 neck and shoulders of of his suit. Uh, which it is it's a cool look and it's it's portrayed well here. So I, I think the artwork in this in this, this issue is particularly solid. So all that said, I guess we can rate this one now. Sure. Uh, the cover is it, it accomplishes everything that. Uh, that I would want it to. It makes us. It makes me want to read. You know, it makes me want to pick this up and read it. Uh, it made me want to pick it up and read it last night when we were talking, and that's why we're covering it today. Uh, it's. It's an A. It's an A cover. The interior art, as I said, I. I. I think I'm a little. I think I'm significantly higher on it than you are. I think there's a lot of really well done things. I don't see any panels that I thought were bad. Uh, I think they're all good to whatever extent, uh, but there's also some that are like really, really good. Uh, So I'm going to say I'm going to say an A on the interior art as well. I really like it. And the story, again, it's not breaking new ground, but it's covering everything that I wanted to cover. And it's doing so in a way where, uh, you know, where I want to read more and where I start thinking, oh, how are they going to get out of this, you know, with, with. Just a combination of all these different villains and what's going on with the Flash and how uh, this character rival, who I want to know more about, is ready to kill Joan. uh, And Flash saves her basically, you know, by uh, a matter of inches. Uh, So just just all all good stuff. So I'm going to say an A on the story as well. And I'm giving it A's all around. Solid A book for me.
1: All right. I'm. I don't think I'm that far off from you. Um, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to to find many better art teams than uh, than Alan Davis and Mark Farmer. I just. I, I think they're a phenomenal art team. So I. Yeah, I love the cover on this. It's really dynamic. Um, and it looks really really good. And it's, you know, if you're even passingly familiar with the Injustice Society, this is one of those covers you you look at and just go, ooh, you know, it gets you excited to. OK, what's going on? You know, somebody's somebody's getting a beat down. Somebody, you know, there's a hurtin coming for somebody here because, you know, some of these characters, most of these characters are real powerhouses. So to see them all together, you know, banded together as a as a gang. Yeah, that's that. This is a major league threat. So, you know, you really don't need a lot of uh, cover verbiage if you're familiar with the characters. I, I think it's a really good image. Um, so, yeah, cover wise, I'm going to go an A on the cover. Interior art. I, I didn't mean to sound like I was like seriously down on it. I'm more down on just the the printing process of the time. I, I find that a lot of comics from this this era don't seem to have scanned well. So when you look at them as a scanned image as opposed to a printed image, somehow they just look funny. And this just looks funny to me. And I, I can't quite put my finger on what it is. It just it looks a little dark. It looks a little fuzzy. Um, it's just a little bit odd. And I agree with you. I think a lot of the problem... You know, I was calling it busy. I, I think some of the art is a little busy, but I think you're right. I think a lot of what it is is the way it's colored. Um, I'm not sure if oversaturated is quite the right term, but that's kind of what it looks like. It's almost like it was colored with markers. So it has that kind of you know saturated look to it. Um, it's a little... It's weird because like the colors are really bright, but it's like the room is dark, if if you know what I mean. So it kind of gives it a weird lighting feel uh, between the colors and the the inking and just the general brightness of it. So it's just, I don't know, visually to me it's just a little bit off-putting for that reason. But again, a lot of that could be chalked up to the scan, and I don't want to hold that against the book itself. So art-wise... I think I'm going to go an a minus on the art cause I, I'm not terribly down on it. I, I think it just, it could l- use a little bit of refining and I wish I was seeing a little m- bit more bear in here. Now I know he's just the inker and not the penciler, but I really like that guy's style. And unfortunately I'm, I'm not seeing a whole heck of a lot of it here. So it doesn't look like he's imposing much of his personal style over the penciler. Um, which you know, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want the inker to supplant the penciler, but I, I like to be able to identify the inker as well. And I, I, if I, if I was handed this, I don't think I'd be able to tell that that bear had been the inker on here, and that's kind of a shame. So art-wise, um, eh, I think I'm going to go a B plus on the art. Um, I, I think it could just it, it could use a little bit of something, and a lot of that I think is uh, is the coloring and just the general darkness of it. I, I wish it was a little bit lighter uh, in brightness and a little less saturated in the color, if that makes sense. Uh, maybe comics should need to come with some sort of you know, tint adjust or something. Um, and then story-wise, it's really hard for me to grade this on the story because this is definitely when you're getting into the writing for the trade mentality era, so this isn't really a story. This is a piece of a story. This is like the opening salvo of a story. Um, that said, it's it's hella intriguing because it makes me wanna, you know, it makes me want to dive right back in and not only read forward, but now I want to get caught back up to like, okay, what what was happening prior to this to get to this point and then definitely you know, what comes afterwards? I'm just I'm so out of touch. So, you know, I, I didn't quite I couldn't quite mentally bring myself up to speed, like exactly what was going on. But there's enough that happens here that makes me intrigued to, to definitely want to get, uh, you know, caught back up and, and reinvested and, and go forward and reread the whole thing. So, you know, on that level, yeah, I definitely, I would actually say an A plus on that level of, you know, sucking me right back in again. So overall grade on the whole thing, I really don't think we're far off. I, I would say, you know, overall grade for the whole book. Uh, yeah, I'd give it an A cause I mean, I, I'm right back in love all over again. I, I, I want to dive right back in with both feet and, and read the whole damn thing. Cause I, I know that this is the quality I can expect from the whole run. I mean, this, this was phenomenal stuff.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, cool. So, that'll be it for today and uh we'll be back next week with something for you thanks everybody for listening and thanks scott for uh doing this with me
1: absolutely (laughs) bye-bye thank you so much for listening to our show and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness you can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at 2truefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the 2 True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.2truefreaks.com. 2 True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiMonzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the two true freaks dot com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.
0: Darn, that's the end.